Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to A Thousand Tiny Steps. In this podcast, I share my stories of love, loss, triumphs, and tragedy as I continue to trace my steps backward and ponder what led to the death of my daughter, Molly. If you're ready to laugh, cry, shake your head in disbelief, or simply listen, and tie, buckle, slip on, or lace up your shoes, and join me as we begin our A Thousand Tiny Steps. Hey, everybody. Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to episode 84 of A Thousand Tiny Steps. The cloudy Tuesday today, it's the very end of March, we really are tick-tocking our way to April. And as I even say those words, I get a knot in my tummy because April is such a profound month. It's Molly's last month alive on the planet. As much as April is a million other things, Gracie's birthday, you know, Easter very often, you know, really spring kicking into gear, it will always be the last month while Molly was alive. And the hardest part for me sometimes is that even though she had all of these physical issues that really were slowly just infiltrating and taking over her life, she hit it really well. And she had days that seemed to be like really good days. And so, you know, I beat myself up so much over what's clear now and what hindsight can show you. You know, when with the saying hindsight is twenty twenty always brings me back to the movie, The Sixth Sense, which I've used this analogy a million times. And you watch this whole movie with the idea that Bruce Willis is a live therapist put into the life of this little boy. And then at the end of the movie, you're shown the same scenes, but now that you know that he isn't alive, you see how they work. Like it takes your mind a minute to really register the fact that, wow, Bruce Willis really was invisible to everybody else in all of those scenes. I look back now with such clarity, not just clarity on Molly's health, but clarity on my relationship with Roy, clarity on this guy, Doug, and how I was just really being sucked into a situation I didn't have a lot of control over. There will be people that will argue that, that will say, you know, I had could have had complete control over myself. But when you look at how I am, when people reach out or offer a friendship or need help, so many times I jump in sort of impulsively and offer all of this help without even thinking that maybe it isn't the right thing to do. I can look over my whole entire life, actually, and, and see friends and relationships and situations from when I was a little girl all the way to now, where I just sort of befriend the wrong people. Not that any of these people are bad people. Not my place to call somebody good or bad or to qualify that. But it's all of this is incredibly difficult. And I was writing a blog post about how much I like to talk. And I wrote an email this week about, about my various ways of communicating and how in my life, my mouth has gotten me in more trouble than I care to, care to elaborate on. And it's true. As a little, little girl, I was very honest. And so if I thought somebody's house decor was ugly, I'd say this is a very ugly living room. Not thinking it wasn't a nice thing to say. I was you know, five or six. I would just say it, you know, and my mother would have to remind me that Sometimes I just keep things inside. I remember when I was teaching at Walker School, another teacher, Steve there, why he was the one that said to me once, you know, thoughts are called thoughts for a reason. They're words that stay inside your head. And so right now in my life, as I'm recording this episode, I had the chance to deliver a speech to about 150 high school students at a HOSA conference, Health Occupation Student Association. A wonderful chance to stand up there and tell whatever story I wanted to tell about my, my life as a patient and all the things I've gone through in healthcare. And of course, I have 
a very tricky relationship with healthcare. I have a dead child and a baby at 57. So the best of the best and the worst of the worst, right? This season of the podcast is my most painful, incredibly difficult season because if I had to trace my steps back to that Molly's death and the beginning of the end of Molly, it all really was set into motion for me in November of 2005. And one thing led to the next, which led to the next, which allowed the next. So now here I am in the calendar year 2016, where Gracie, Molly, and I stood out on New Year's Eve and said, let's make this the best year ever. So all of these things are happening at the same time. I'm blogging and I'm giving speeches and I'm editing my book. And what I've noticed is with the podcast, with a blog, with a book, you put your words out there. I record these episodes and then I have this amazing editor who cuts out all the dead space and the ums, the easy stuff, right? Make sure I'm speaking loud enough and all. But then he has to also really look at how I say what I'm saying and can he cut a whole section out and put it later in the podcast? Should he cut certain things that I say because maybe they detract from the story or they, he spends a lot of time making sure that the podcast flows as best it can. In the book, the editor read the whole book and that was such a learning experience, that meeting. But we have to rearrange, we're taking some things out. We're rewriting sections so that they're much more vague and we're not getting lost in the details. The memoir that I wrote is ultimately three books. It could be three separate books. It could be the memoir, the life and death of Molly Banzoff and what it's like to lose a child, that part. And then there's the whole Roy piece. And then there's the whole me after Molly's death and, and how the drugs and the alcohol and how much I fell apart. That's a book in and of itself. All of these details are sort of included in the book, the legal battles with the hospital. In these realities, I can edit. What you hear isn't how I'm recording it right now. By the time you hear it, it will be a much cleaner version of this story. By the time the book is published, it will be a very different version than the initial one that Virginia gave to me a year ago to edit. And it will be a very different version than the edited version I sent to the publisher. And although I don't tend to edit my blogs other than spelling and typos and that sort of thing, and even then, those make it in there quite a bit, I still reread it. I still make sure it flows. I still rearrange things before I send it off to my web, my beautiful web lady, Judy. Public speaking, standing up on a stage, there's no editor do-over. The only time a speech like that would be edited would be if it were being recorded and was going to be published somewhere. And in that regard, an editor might take the liberty to edit out things that might not make it online that were okay live and that sort of thing. So I get nervous about those things. Anyway, all of these things are happening at once. This difficult, difficult season of my podcast. I'm telling the story sort of almost in the, at the time that I'm living right now. I've recorded, you know, the fall of 2015. Well, it's not fall anymore. I'm going to be talking about January, February, and March, and I'm recording this episode in March. So I'm going to be talking about the time period I'm reliving now seven years later. And I have to be honest, every year I get to a day that has a significant memory and I fight with myself and I cry and I scream with Molly to come back. And I want to wake up and have it be seven years ago because I just want, I want to do over so badly. Oh my gosh, just a do over. And, you know, I, there's no such thing as a do over here. I can't edit my life. It is what it is. And I can't change the past, but by sharing it, I can maybe alter and affect the future in a way that's helpful to myself and others. That's all the gobbledygook that leads to January 1st, 2016. In the beginning weeks of, of that year, I had a lot going on. I remember that 
Doug and I were working very hard in getting this, this educational program off the road. So we now had like five or six students that were coming every day, just three hours a day, not a long day, to a facility downtown, a beautiful building, to go to school. We went for walks a lot. We went to any historical site in Concord that we could get to on spot. We went to the park. You know, we spent a lot of time outside. And it was wonderful. It was just a great way for these kids to feel like their education was continuing and they could develop some self-control mechanisms. So that took a lot of work. It was in January that I was finally let go from VLATS. And it, again, I feel that I made the decision sometimes not to do work when I could have, but I also know that any time I had an hour of time in my day that, that I wasn't focused on that day job and I sat down at my computer, Doug would come by and have a reason why, oh, just put that away. You don't need to work on that. Why do you still do that? It was amazing money and I loved it and I was good at it. And I remember my boss just really giving me time and time again and again, more chances and more chances and more chances as my life spiraled out of control. And he could see that it was spiraling out of control. And so finally, I remember I had like 15 students to complete and that sort of high gate. And so I was furiously completing all these students and I knew what was coming. I knew that I was going to lose this job. It was in January. And I completed like seven or eight students that day. And then I tried to log in and, and I was done. And so I remember emailing my boss and saying, please, my students, I have a relationship with my students that they would not be okay with me just disappearing, please. And so he let me write a letter saying that I was leaving VLAX. And that was it. That job was over, as was that income. I went from now, you know, using Concord Hospital financial assistance for insurance and Medicaid to having insurance through this job. And the insurance was good. I have to say the insurance was not bad, but it was a whole upheaval in how medicine occurred in our house. And I think sometimes it was just one more piece of the puzzle that solidified Molly's demise. The other thing that happened a lot in January was Doug was insistent on showing up at my house. He just would show up. And sometimes Terry and I had had drinks already. And so I was already under the influence. And then he would show up you know, with a bag and like a canvas bag with a big fifth of vodka in there. Kenny would have gone to bed. Sometimes Kenny would come down, sometimes not. It was just incredibly uncomfortable. And Gracie and Molly hated it. They really hated it. And I was just at a loss as to how to extricate myself from it. It was so many boundaries were crossed. It's like a boss. And then he's sort of like the go-between between me and Nanette, who didn't like me. And, and I don't blame her, quite honestly. The picture that, that Doug painted of me to her was that I was, I was the one that was aggressively looking for some big connection and, and that I wouldn't leave him alone. And, oh my gosh, it was, it was, I look back on it now and even more so than all the red flags with Roy, this was an unbelievably scary, awful, awful time. I, I don't look back on any of that time with good memories, except the times with students. And even then that's all tainted because I know what's coming now. The one good time that we all had as a family was that there was a, like a holiday party. And Kenny, Gracie, Molly, and I, and my friend Polly came too as well. And he threw this big, huge party. And Molly and Gracie took these amazing pictures of these big cupcakes. And they just had this wonderful time. And they wrote on this bullet, this whiteboard. They had fun. They just sort of extricated themselves from the party and had a good time. I remember leaving the party with Doug and Polly and like getting into a car and just getting high. Like what? Like this was, I can't even wrap my head around the behavior. I felt my, my control slipping. And I also know that I was spending less and less time sober. I was, I was either working, so I would be sober when I was working, but 
oftentimes we'd, we'd have these ridiculous lunches in the middle of the day where we'd get hammered. And then we'd go back to work. And I didn't see students in the afternoon. So it's not like I was teaching under the influence, but it was awful. And I look back on it and I just shudder. I look at you know how great I was doing at the end of that 2008, 2009 school year and how my life had fallen apart a year later. And then I had rebuilt a life for myself. And I was finally at a place where even though Roy and I were nuts, things were okay. Things were okay. And Gracie was in high school and we were marching through life and the girls were getting bigger and everything was okay. And then this came into my life. And, and it's the same year, 2015-16 is the year that the bottom utterly falls out of my life. So January was hours and hours at work, working on work things. So that wasn't necessarily bad, but what I had lost in my relax job and in my self-confidence was profound. I also didn't do any, I maybe did one or two indoor track meets that year. I, I made great money timing these meets, but I was overwhelmed and, and worked. 50, 60, 70 hours a week. And I remember Doug saying to me, you know, we finally put a schedule together for me and I wanted time with Gracie and Molly and he ridiculed me a little bit about it. You know, I didn't see my kids. It's not like you have to see your kids all the time. You know, they're busy with their activities. And I just couldn't wrap my head around that. How do you not want to be with your kids? I mean, it's just backwards. And he would pull me away. Oftentimes he would say, we have a meeting, we'll be out at three. And I'm like, we have to be out at three. And sometimes I wouldn't get home until five or six o'clock. And after a while, Gracie and Molly stopped being surprised by it as it was just happening all the time. And then I was missing CrossFit. I wasn't going to CrossFit like I had been going because he would show up or convince me not to go. And I know it sounds pathetic. And I have to acknowledge that as I tell the story, it sounds like, I, like I'm just pathetic. And that's how I feel looking back on it. That I got so sucked in that I couldn't see it and I couldn't respond. Another January occurrence, it was like Martin Luther King Day. So it was a Monday off and the girls were home. And I woke up and I'm like, yes, we can have this day to ourselves. And Doug called and said, oh, we have a chance to go up and visit this place. And I'm like, but it's a holiday. And, you know, Doug was like, well, it's a group home. It's not a holiday for them. And so I left. I went and spent six hours. It was a really good learning experience for me to see this group home. But I've then included, we got to stop for dinner. We've got to start for a drink. And what could have been a three-hour visit was like a six-hour time away from my children. The next sort of rough thing that happened was February. So February came and in the month of February, Kenny was still living here all the time. He had, he had lived away for a few months in 2015 and then come back. And then things were escalating again. We pushed the pause button for holidays. We had a good holiday season, but we were back to just really, really hating each other. Kenny just hating me so much. So January turned into February. I always leave my Christmas decorations up forever. And this particular year was no different. And Molly was finally like, mom, we have to take these down. They wanted to have like a Valentine's Day get together. So we cleaned the house, took all the decorations down, packed them up, put them away, not knowing that they're still in the boxes. I put them in in 2016. They haven't been opened. We got the house ready and the girls had this amazing Valentine's Day. We made these cake pops and I, I went and got all the ingredients. I had just gotten my rower. And so the rower was in the playroom off the living room. And, and I remember Shelby, Megan, Gracie, and Molly, and the four of them had the best day. And Megan had a migraine that day and her eyes looked funny. The focus was off and she laid on the couch for a long time and migraine, suddenly they're gone and she feels better. And that's what happened. She felt better. And it was one of the reasons I, I finally thought this must be what Molly has. And we had a conversation about it. Oh, Molly, it's migraines. And, you know, we talked about the different symptoms and Molly had some and, and she vomited a couple of times. It wasn't profuse. We hadn't necessarily put them with any dizziness or tingling in the face, but migraines often have vomiting. And so it seemed logical. So 
this day was significant because it was a really just a very, very fun day. And it was a day that we sort of got put in our heads that Molly had migraines. Kenny and I often would get each other cards and things. In most of the years leading up to Molly's death, we didn't. Or if we did, it was more to make girls feel okay that you're okay. So I took Gracie and Molly to Rite Aid and got this heart mug with candy in it and ominous and gave it to Kenny and he wanted nothing to do with it. And I'm like, you know, it's not from me, it's from them. And he just wanted nothing to do with Valentine's Day or anything at all. And he stayed away. He didn't take part in the, in the girls' activities or anything. It was during the month of February that Kenny and I found the apartment that we would live in. We moved into it. It was the end of February. So March was the first month that we were actually fully living in it. But February, we went and looked for it. We found furniture for it. I remember my friend Marty gave me a futon and I brought Roy to her house. And Roy and I have pictures of him helping me pack the futon into my car. I was being a lot more honest with Roy, with Kenny around Roy. So when I was going down there, I just said, I'm going to Roy's. And I, I just was honest about it. That was very painful for Kenny. I mean, it was just an acknowledgement that this is how things were. During this time, the month of February, the school did these ski tricks. And the students that we taught didn't go on the ski tricks. But for some reason, there was a day that Doug and I could both go. And he pleaded with me to go. And I didn't want to go. I don't particularly enjoy Loon Mountain. It's not one of my favorite places to ski. I had a lot of stuff to do with. Everybody was going to be gone. It would have been a day for me to accomplish. And as always, I got convinced to go. And I said, look, I'm, I'm not going to drive. I'm going to just go up with the students and come back with the students. Or I'm going to drive my car so I can get back home. And he promised me, you know, we'll be done at three. And so I went and I skied some runs and it was a lot of fun. And then we went in for lunch and he orders these two giant Bloody Marys. And I'm like, well, I can't. We're skiing. It's a school day. I can't be drinking Bloody Marys. And he was always like, do whatever you want. You're with me, which was kind of his taught response to everything. We had these drinks and then we leave the mountain like at two. And he had this like vacation home nearby. He's like, well, let's just go check on the vacation home. And so I'm like, well, no, I just, I need to get home. I said I would be home at three and well, we won't be long. Don't worry about it. So we went and, and checked out the, the vacation home. And then of course we had more drinks. So now I'm really too drunk to drive at that moment. So now we have to sort of wait off the effects of the alcohol. And so we fall asleep. So I wake up and it's dark. So I don't know what time it is now. I'm out of sorts. And Doug is having a huge fight with Nanette. I'm at the middle of this fight now. And I'm like, we have got to go. Oh my God. On the way home, he decided we need to stop and have dinner. And I remember sitting, sitting at the bar at this restaurant. It's dark out. I'm so upset. I can't wrap my head around it. And I'm signing up for the Crash Bees, which is a rowing competition. So I'm on my phone. He gets really angry at me that I'm on my phone. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be home right now. So by the time I got home, it was eight o'clock at night. And Gracie and Molly were heartbroken. Molly just cried. I, I have the, the worst memories of this now. And she cried and cried and cried. And Kenny was furious. And all I could say is I didn't have any reception. And I'm sorry. I just apologized profusely. Just apologize. It was the worst. It was just a disastrous night. So the last week of February was February vacation. And so the beginning of this vacation period, the girls went to Rebecca and Keisha's because that's, you know, what they like to do. They spent the whole weekend there. So I'd had this whole disastrous thing with Doug. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to see your face. Don't talk to me. Vacation. I actually think maybe he went someplace with his family. I have no recollection of him being a part of my life during that last week of February. During this time, Roy and I, all through January and February, were going back and forth and back and forth. He had a new friend named Wendy. She and I are still really good friends. And, and this is something else that Roy would often do. He would have a new friend and he would talk about these female friends all the time. Oh, I, I texted with Wendy for three hours last night. 
And I'm like, okay, does her husband care about that? You know, like, and he would sort of put it off. I'm quite sure Wendy's husband's very clear on what the friendship with Roy was. But he would bring it up to me all the time. And if I said something like, well, if I were texting with a guy all the time, you'd be mad at me. And, and then he would say, well, you're not a girlfriend. I don't owe you anything. And it was this sort of round and round. And that's where we were at. It was like, you're not going to commit, so I don't owe you anything. I can see whoever I want, that kind of thing. But the minute he thought there was anything untold around me and Doug, he was on me. So I can't judge him for that because I was the same way. Our relationship was hot and cold, hot and cold. I have wonderful pictures of visits. I had a snowy visit. It had snowed and we walked all around his town and we took pictures of each other sitting on a snowy bench. We just had a wonderful time. It was really nice. He bought me a pair of hiking boots. That was also on again, off again. So that last week of February, there was a big exhibit at a museum in Salem and it was a Chinese exhibit. And so I was interested because my sister-in-law is from China. And so Roy made plans. He was going to cook a big dinner and I would bring the girls and we would go to the museum and we'd come back and have dinner. And he went all out. But what he failed to sort of acknowledge is that the girls didn't like him. And I said, you know, if I tell them I want to do this, they'll refuse to come. He was like, you have to make them come. I can't make them come. If they don't want to come, they're not going to get in the car with me. They do get in the car with me. They're going to be furious and refuse to get out of the car. Like, what don't you see about this? They're not two or three. They don't just do what I say. And he didn't want to hear it. This was going to happen. And he bought them coloring books and colored pencils and all of this. So I just didn't tell them. All I said was, we're going to a museum. And Roy blamed me for them being so upset because I didn't tell them where we were going. When I processed this with Gracie and Molly afterwards, they said, you were right. We would never have gotten in the car with you. We would never, ever have gone. And so I don't know what would have happened. But what I did was put my daughters in the middle of a horrific event. So we drove to Roy's. So I called Roy and said, why don't we meet at the museum? No, we didn't want to meet at the museum. You have to come here first. And so... As we're driving from the beach to Roy's apartment, I just let them know, well, this is where we're going. And, and he really wants to just have a nice day with us. And, and they were like, no, no, we're not, no. And so when we got there to his apartment, they refused to get out of the car. I'm like, please, just do this for me. Just let's just have a nice day, please. And they refused. And Molly's like, I don't like this side of you. I don't agree. I don't think it's okay. So they would not get out of the car. And Molly had started to piece together more so than Gracie that what was going on with Roy and I was more than just a friendship. It made her feel unsafe. It made her just unsure. She didn't like it. So I go in and my horse is nervous. And I think he's nervous because he wants it to go well. And the minute I tell that they won't get out of the car, he starts to become enraged. And I said, please, if, if what you want is for them to enjoy the day, then please, let's just go to the museum. Let's just go to the museum. We can walk around and we can gain comfort there and look at things in the public setting. And then we can come back. And he refused. You make them come in here. And they wouldn't. And so he goes, well, I'm going to go out and talk to them. So I said, no, 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 please don't, please don't. Well, he did. He went out and got into the car with them. And he didn't talk to them. What he did was he screamed at them. He called them names. He yelled and screamed and yelled and screamed. Gracie texted me, let me come out here right now. So I came out and he was in the driver's seat. I got the back. He wanted to show them this big, huge rock, this really awesome rock that's on the peninsula into the Atlantic Ocean. He wanted to take them there and show it. So we drove there and he's screaming at them. And I'm like, how is this health oil? Stop screaming. And Molly and Gracie are both crying. And now he ridicules them for crying. Oh, you're just like your mother. You cry all the time. Well, when there's a grown man that you only know is the father of a friend you had when you were little, and he's screaming at you, screaming. And he was also, when Roy gets really upset like this, he goes into what mimics what is called a narcissistic rage. It's a rage. I've witnessed it in my life maybe two or three times where he really goes over the top. And it's it's terrifying, terrifying. And so. We just sat in the car and then they called his daughter. So he called 
Teresa. And sadly, I think this is a habit that he, he performs regularly. This I witnessed. I've witnessed it a couple of times, and he's acknowledged it and admitted it to me a couple of times in some of our bigger fights. I don't know why a father would call their child to talk about their romantic life, but he did. And so he's standing on the sidewalk in this beautiful neighborhood, screaming into the phone, just talking about how pathetic we are. They won't even get out of the car. You know, I remember reaching out to Teresa after this, and, and she just said, well, I just sort of listened and let him rage. You know, she was okay, but I felt terrible for her. It wasn't hard. So we got back in the car and drove back to his apartment. He got out, slammed the door, and we drove. We drove away. So we drove to the, the mall in Salem, and this is a significant piece of the story because this is where Molly went the last Thursday she was alive, my sister's birthday. We got to the mall, and Molly and Gracie were a mess, and I was a mess, and I just gave them a ton of cash, and I said, just go shop and have fun. And I just sat on a bench in the mall and texted with Roy, and, and he was furious. He just, he just blamed me. This is all your fault, which is often what he does. And I'm like, I didn't make you lose your temper, Roy. You chose to lose your temper. And all, no, I would never have lost my temper if it weren't all you did. Like, he just would turn it around. And there was nothing I could say. And I said, well, Molly and Gracie will never want to be in your life now. So you've just solidified that. And he would say, no, you've solidified that. So that was like the Monday of February vacation. So Tuesday, we're sitting on the, on the couch. Kenny's at dialysis. And Molly and Gracie just want to do something. And money is sort of an issue for us now because I've lost my VLAX job and I haven't been timing track meets. And they wanted to go to an indoor water park. And so I called up and I made reservations for Thursday night, all day Friday, Friday night into Saturday. And they were so excited, so unbelievably excited that we were going to go. And there were some CDA families up there. And we stayed at the red jacket. And my, my sister-in-law, Lana, had bought them winter jackets that were red. So we have a picture of them sitting in one of those big wooden chairs. And so we had this amazing time. And I remember, you know, Roy was furious with me. You know, oh, you're willing to do things with girls and Kenny. And it's like, well, He's their father and he doesn't call them names and scream at them. Like, you know, you have to own your piece in this. And there was none of that. So that was a very difficult week for us, Roy and I. That Sunday, it was February 28th. And I went down to Boston to the rowing competition. And I brought Kenny with me. And we just, it was just a day where we could just settle down and just try to talk about things and be okay. And we talked a little bit about the apartment and this was going to be a great idea. We'd be living separately. This would be good. We felt like we were sort of, okay, our marriage is over. How can we be good parents? And so we went to the rowing competition and we were watching, we were going to stay for a longer period of time. And then we got the first phone call. And this was the first time that there was absolute panic with Gracie and Molly. And Molly had stood up a couple of times and the pain in her head was so profound that she fell to the ground and clutched her head and couldn't move for like a good two or three minutes. So we got in the car and drove home. And this was the first doctor's appointment that was just evidence that they didn't believe anything that Molly was saying, or me for that matter. I called the doctor's office and let the doctor on call know that we were coming. And her first question was, well, how long? I'm only here till noon. How long will it take you to get here? And I said, we can get there just before noon. Well, I'm only here till noon. If you don't get here by noon, go to the ER. Part of me sort of wishes I had, because in that visit, the major symptom was the clutching of the head. I mean, although I had 5,000 other symptoms by the time she went in May, but I don't know. And so we went to the doctor and that was the first time that doctor visit was, was tough. The doctor asked lots of questions. She asked me if Molly was a faker. Did she complain or exaggerate? And I said, no. She asked Molly some questions. Basically she goes, look at your first appointment. It's the first time you've had this. And so I tried to explain, no, that the headaches have been increasing for months now. Something isn't right. Can we just x-ray her head? 
And I'll never forget, I just wanted an x-ray. And a CAT scan is like a two-minute x-ray. It's not that big a deal. And she said, no, we don't x-ray heads. Why? You can't see anything. And, you know, and I even uttered the words, I don't feel like every headache is a brain tumor, but something isn't right. And we were sent away and told to come back if Molly started bombing. So that was how February ended. It was a leap year. So Monday was the 29th. That was the time that we were now officially owners of this apartment. And so Kenny and I began alternating weeks. I stayed in the apartment for a week and then he stayed in the apartment for a week. And of course, two miles up the road. So we, we would stop in to get things if we needed things. But basically what happened was it would be a week where it was me and the girls. And then it was a week where it was Kenny and the girls. And that was how March was ushered in. During the month of March, Molly continued to have these episodes. And I said, let's go back to the doctor then. Let's go back to the doctor. And she refused. She didn't feel that they believed her. She even said to me, at least she believed me, Mom. And during the month of March, things with Roy continued to be on again, off again, primarily because of Doug. So Doug did a couple of things during March. As I said before, he felt that he could just call him up. He could reach out and call Roy. Roy was no one in Doug's life. No one. They didn't know each other. They'd never met. And he would call him just to say things. And so my mistake was I shared a lot of the goings on between Roy and I with Doug. And so what Doug wanted was for Roy to leave me. So I was somehow more available to him. It's twisted and disgusting. I live in a home with Kenny in New Hampshire. Granted, no, we have the apartment. But, you know, it's not like I'm available to date. And so it was just this constant, constant being stabbed to death with a fork, kind of. You know, I'm easy to slowly kill. So... A uh, standout event in March that was bad. Doug was house-sitting for somebody. And so he said, come on up. I want to show you this house. It's beautiful. And all this. So I went up. He had made all this food. And, you know, here, have a drink, have a drink. Roy had come back on a trip. And so Roy and I were talking. He was going to call me. And he sent me an email. It was a terrible email. And so I called him on the phone and I was talking to him. And I hung up and I came downstairs. And Doug was on the phone. And he sort of walked into another room and all this. And so he came back out. And then... Roy called me back and said, I'm ending it with you. I never want to see you again. Everything. And I lost, I lost it. I fell apart. And I'm like, I just had a conversation with Roy. I don't understand. And, and Doug said, well, I just called him and gave him the actual version of the story. I did this. This is what's best for you. I was obliterated. I was a disastrous mess. And so I, I chugged like half a glass of vodka. I was so angry and I passed out and my phone died. It wasn't plugged in. And so I woke up at like 10 o'clock at night. No one in my family knew where I was. I hadn't said anything to anybody. So I plug in my phone. There was a banquet at high school I was coaching at. And I said, no, I'm not going to come. Like, we weren't an official team. And at the last minute, they said, please come. And so I missed it. I missed a banquet. Like, like I think of the things I was willing to do and what I was put through and the decisions I made and the decisions that were made for me during this time. I went home. At that time, I didn't stay. I went home. I'm not staying here. Get away from me. I have to go home. And I went home. Also during this time, there was this big workshop, Smith, like an educator's workshop. And I went there. Roy had said, give me a few days. And I had left him this heartfelt voicemail, which he saved. It was just basically, I'm sorry, slide boy, and I love you. And it was just like this devastatingly awful. And I remember where I gave it. I was driving out of the driveway of Runland. I had dropped Gracie and Molly off. Then I was in the car and I was just sobbing in the car, just hating, hating the chaos of my life. I would get up in the morning and walk out. And I remember walking across the porch one morning and just saying, Barbara, your life is going to blow up if you don't pull yourself together. Something's going to blow up. And then I would go off and teach and have another day. When I look at my life now and go out of control, I feel sometimes I realize I'm not much different. I'm just not drinking. I'm not on medications. I'm not taking drugs. I don't have crazy men in my life. So those things are different. So I got an email from Roy 
while I was at this conference. And it basically said, you're a disgusting person. I hate you. I never want to see you again. And I fell apart so much that I just got into the back of Doug's car, fell asleep and cried all day. I just said, take me home. I can't stay here. And I left. I didn't, I didn't stay for the conference. As March came to a close, as happened again and again and again, Roy and I were back on speaking terms, went back and forth. I also was very much wanting to pull away from the job. I didn't want to keep teaching. I kept saying, look, I'm just, once summer comes, I'm out of here. I was given the chance to go back to VLAX, you know, once the summer came and I wasn't tied up in this job. You know, I didn't want to work full time all summer. I was clear in my head this year was going to end and I was done with it. I wanted to return to VLAX. I wanted my life back in some way. We settled into a life in the apartment. Things were once again, relatively manageable. Kenny and I were still a mess, but we would, we would put ourselves together for the girls. We would create weekly family dinners. That was the four of us. I remember one Sunday, you know, Sundays were hangover days, of course. It was a Billy Crystal movie, 700 Sundays, and Kenny and I were just not feeling good. We both laid on the bed and watched this movie. It's like a two and a half hour Billy Crystal movie. It was so good. You know, we had these moments where things were okay, and then we had moments that were awful. Easter was in March that year, and Easter was a pretty important holiday that year. That was Molly's last Easter, and I talked about the Easter trees, all of the things that Gracie and Molly did to play the game with me and to be children. And they had Easter baskets, and we always did bathing suits and plants and beach towels and candy and sunglasses and all of those things. We had a wonderful Easter. It was a very, very good day. And then March ended. I'll sort of reiterate that always in my life, I have these parallel paths where Things are going along in my life. I have friends and I don't have friends. And, you know, some things are good and other things are terrible. It was also at this time, the third week of March, I had come home from a visit with Roy and met Gracie, Molly, and Kenny at Cheers and we had dinner. We're eating there and I noticed that Robin and, you know, her whole family and this woman named Lenora, they were all eating at Cheers. They were often there. And so Robin went by and she like hit her face and walked by. So she wouldn't look at me or whatever. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. So I went over and said hi to everyone else because I loved all of them. And they're like, ah! and once Robin came out of the bathroom, I went right back and sat down with Kenny. So about a day or two later, Robin reached out and said, she would love to go for a walk and maybe we'd reconnect. And so I was, as I said, losing Robin was devastating. I thought that this was like the greatest thing ever. And I remember Molly sitting down and saying, mommy, please, mommy, please don't. Finally over Robin, finally happy without her. Please don't. Talk about a foreshadowing piece of advice from my soon-to-be-dead child around what she saw that I would only get sucked in, that Robin was no different, and that please don't do this. And so as March was coming to a close, Robin and I made plans to walk. We went for a walk and talked. We didn't agree on the things that made us hate each other or made her hate me, but we thought that maybe it would be nice to reconnect our friendship. So March ends, January, February, March ends, and all three months have Episodes with Doug, episodes with Roy, episodes with Kenny, episodes with the girls, some good, some bad. But the infiltration of Doug into my life and the more I pulled back, the more he pushed was accelerating. April would be huge upramp of all of those things. And next episode will be April and May. And I know I've talked about these things before, but I'm really talking about them now through the lens of being in a relationship with Roy and being honest about that, how prevalent that was in my life. As I retell these stories, I see patterns I still repeat now. When I talk about my chaotic life, I oftentimes have a chaotic life now and it exhausts me. I'm learning every day how to calm it down and I'm not good at it yet. I'll close out March, 2016 
with lots and lots of stress. So be good to yourselves. Always be good to yourselves in ways that are big and flamboyant. Buy yourself something expensive and small. Drink water every day. Be good to other people. Compliment them. Support them. Secretly donate to a cause. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting the podcast. Feel free to leave a review and to share my stories with your friends. Please reach out with your own stories. I love connecting with my listeners. If you want to see what I'm up to next, you can find me on Instagram at Barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, a thousandtinysteps.com. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter, a weekly way to find out what's up in the life of Barb Higgins.